Hi everyone, welcome to today's episode with another fascinating guest. Today we invited Susanna, an Armenian who was born and grew up in Russia, but after that she moved to the Netherlands and in between also spent some time in Italy. I'm sure we're going to talk about that. She works as a UX writer and that's a very interesting sphere to discuss. And by the way, she has her own podcast that is called Content design with friends content design with friends we're gonna include it in our description so give it a listen as well and without further ado let's welcome susanna hi everyone hello susanna it's good to have you on the show today. I'm very excited about our conversation. Yeah, just to begin with, I would like you to maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, the general question everyone asks, but I think that's the best way of getting to know someone you don't know that well. So if you can just share some of your background story, where you grew up, how you ended up in the Netherlands, stuff like that. Yes, sure, I can. I don't know where to start because there's a lot. But yeah, so I grew up in Russia and I always knew that I'm going to move somewhere <laughs> because I never wanted to stay. I don't know, probably it's because I never felt like I truly belonged in Russia for many reasons. So I spent most of my life learning languages because I thought that that's like the, the best path to go somewhere else. I know six languages. Can you name them? Yeah, it's, well, apart from Russian Norwegian, obviously it's French, Italian, English, and a little bit of German. Yeah, and I think that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can tell that you, that you speak English fluently. I also know that uh, you can fluently speak Italian, and I guess French as well. Yeah, actually French was the first foreign language that I started learning. When I started learning Italian, it kind of got replaced by Italian. But if I practice it more, obviously I'm going to get back. But yes, I used to speak it fluently. And actually that's how I got into the university without any exams, because I want the old Russian, how do you call it, like a contest? An impiada, we call it in Russian. Uh-huh. Yeah, so basically... What I was doing before coming to the Netherlands, I worked a lot with languages. I was a translator. I was an interpreter. I actually worked a lot in theaters. I was working mostly with Italian language. Mm -hmm. So I worked with theater directors and actors. And I also have translated a play that is currently staged at the Mali Theater in Moscow Mm -hmm. and has my name on it. Yeah, just um, by the way, that is one of the main theaters in Russia, so. <laughs> yeah, and I also was a teacher for a very long time for both Italian and English. Then I worked as a journalist for some time, gl- glossy journalist, so it wasn't that like serious, but I was writing about culture, travel a lot. And then I, I don't know, I always was getting bored with the stuff that I was doing. Uh So I was always looking for some areas to branch out, to try something new. Uh And yeah, at some point, I don't know, I always thought that I would end up in Italy. And yeah, we're going to talk about it a little bit more. But when I realized that I don't want to live there, 
at that point was very much in like I was in love with someone who was living in the Netherlands and in Amsterdam uh-huh. and I kind of saw this other side uh, of what it is uh, like to live here and I liked it I thought okay it can be my thing uh-huh. so I started looking for opportunities um, and that's how I kind of encountered the youth writing and I knew that IT is kind of this area and the industry that allows you to move around the globe. I knew that I don't want to be a developer, yeah. the most obvious path. And so your training was like a mix of things that, yeah, it is an IT job, but I would do basically some things that I always was doing, <laughs> writing copy, working with translations, solving problems and issues and so on and so forth. And so, yeah, I just got into some courses and got into UX writing. Um, yeah, so I guess your main education at the university was in lingu- linguistics or... Yeah. Yeah. And so as far as I know, you spend in Italy around one or two years? Under a year combined. I studied there for two semesters. Mm-hmm. I did a semester in Rome and then in Padova, and then I came back for a little bit more than three months when I tried to live there basically. I remember you told me that, I mean, you mentioned it just now that you had kind of this idea of moving to Italy and after spending some time there, you changed your mind. So what were the main underlying reasons behind it? And if you can tell it. Yeah, Italy is an interesting country (laughs) because I think in the minds of many people, it is kind of associated with Dolce Vita which is simple life, you know, beautiful image and everything is just so chill and then you just, you know, live your best life. But it is that as well, to some extent. And I have learned a lot from Italians in terms of the quality of life and how you live your life. But Italy is also, for me, chaotic. There's a lot of things that just, they're so difficult there in terms of bureaucracy, socialization, finding work and just settling in. So these were the major things for me. And I think, I don't know, it might be that I'm becoming older or something, but I I do truly value when things just work. Like I just, when I need to get something done, it just gets done. For instance, one of my friends actually recently moved to Rome because her husband is Italian. And as she moved last year, like many people, it took her almost a year, I think, yeah, nine months to get a um, residence permit, uh-huh. which is a lot considering that she had all the premises to actually get it. Uh-huh. And she couldn't leave the country because of that. She couldn't travel around and stuff like that. And she obviously couldn't do other things like finding work uh-huh. or even getting the local driver's uh, license. So there's that. There's also... A lot of the things related to the society, Italians are very conservative. Uh There's this image of Italians, and I'm seeing it from a perspective of, from a place of love. I do still love Italians very much, and the Italian language and the culture and all those things. But they're very conservative when it comes to, first of all, welcoming others into the country. Uh By others, I mean expats. There is no expat culture there. And they have a hard time understanding other ways of being and living your life. So 
they have a lot of rules. And it might sound very funny, but a lot of the rules related to food as well. We all know Italy as like the country, you know, that is amazing in terms of food. But they have loads of rules regarding the how to eat, what to eat, what you can combine with what, what do you eat for breakfast, when do you eat your breakfast and stuff like that. And it might sound ridiculous, but then when it's your daily life and you're constantly kind of instructed on how to eat and what to eat you're like i really just want to eat my breakfast as i want to eat it and it's like it becomes ridiculous and i remember when i was like in the dormitory everyone would come and watch me make my eggs in the morning at 7 a.m because it was so bizarre to them that like i was making eggs that's why you decided to move uh, to the country with one of the best cuisines in the world oh yeah definitely uh, yeah Dutch cuisine <laughs> is so exciting Excited and great that yeah, I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, but every, everyone understands. After living for some time in Italy, how did you come across about this opportunity in the Netherlands? Was your top priority to move to the Netherlands, or you mentioned that you had a boyfriend back here and you were like considering these options, right? Yeah, I mean, just for clarity, it was not my boyfriend, boyfriend, but yeah, it wasn't yeah. that with someone, let's say so. But I, it wasn't my only option. So I'm very strategic when it comes to planning out things like this. So I knew that I for sure want to move to Europe. I made a list of countries that I was okay to move to. Netherlands was the first country on my list. The second one was Sweden. And I was actually very much into Sweden and Swedish language. And I was listening to a lot of things about life in Sweden as well. The number three country was Germany. And in some ways, it might have been easier for me to maybe move there because my granny, she actually lives there and I have other relatives who are there. So I have family and it's always easier when you have family somewhere, right? But I know German as well, to some extent, so it wouldn't be that big of a problem for me to kind of improve mm -hmm. that. But I was never like a huge, huge fan of Germany. And so, yeah, I made this list. Then I made a list of companies as well that I knew would have possibilities for visas because this is the number one problem, right, for anyone who comes from outside of Europe. How do you get a work visa here? So I did this, then I was like matching and seeing these opportunities. But I got to tell you, like, I did a lot of networking. I spent an entire year, which was actually the year when the pandemic happened, just networking, talking to people, finding connections, finding connections in the companies in Europe, improving my CV and doing all this stuff. And in the end, to be honest, I also did consider studying abroad. And I was applying to universities as well. And I actually got into a university in Austria. Uh -huh. And before I got an offer from Europe, from the Netherlands, I was already kind of settled into the idea of moving to Austria. And I was like packing my bags, getting my documents ready and stuff like that. But it just so happened then at the last moment, in other opportunities. So, and so to clarify, you just said that you spent almost a year preparing this whole bunch of information that can help to move networking, but you were doing it this remotely. You yeah. were staying in Russia, right? Exactly. And so, yeah, maybe you can share some kind of tips of how to do this type of things remotely, especially networking during the pandemic. And how did you move in the end? Like, where Booking decided to relocate you 
from the outside of EU? Yeah, there are a lot of parts to this so, question, so I'm just going to try and I'm going to start with the basics of how I, yeah, how I was doing the networking part. I don't know. I just, maybe it's also the industry that I'm in and specifically my job title, but I knew right from the start when I was um, doing all the courses that the community is very friendly and I kept on hearing in, back in Russia that, hey, the international community is also very friendly. So if you reach out to people, they will get back to you. Mm-hmm. But obviously, there are different ways of reaching out, right? So there are people, and I actually get this a lot now because, yeah, I do work at a company that is big and people want to get in. So they reach out to me quite regularly. And I see people reach out like, oh, hey, yeah, great. How are you doing? And then like, swooping in their CV just with no premises to do to doing so, right? Because I, I don't know them. How do I know anything about them, right? Why would I want to recommend them? But I was just truly trying to connect with people like we do when we try to make friends, mm-hmm. not because they're working somewhere, but I was just trying to ask them, hey, like I saw that you're doing this and I saw that your background is this. How did you get there? What did you do? Is there any advice that you can give to me? And this is how I met some people also from the company that I'm currently working at. Mm-hmm. And they were very keen on sharing, hey, like, yeah, these are the materials that you can bring. This, These are the events that you could go to. Mm-hmm. And that's how they started sharing the events as well and the networking opportunities. And they were like, hey, yeah, this is a nice open event that wouldn't cost you anything. But if you go there, don't just like stay there and listen. Try to talk to people, mm-hmm. be very visible in the chats. If you see someone post something in the channels, comment, just anything, just be visible, you know, so that people know that, hey, there's this person, you know, mm-hmm. and then you just keep on doing that. You keep on asking people for advice. You keep on reaching out to them and then you become visible to them. So they know who you are. You're not just some random person Mm -hmm. that has no identity to them. No, you are active and proactive. And actually it happened so that when in the end I needed advice, a very concrete advice um, on my CV and on my portfolio and on the um, intro emails that I was writing, I was already in conversations with a lot of those people, you know, and they knew me and then they were like, yeah, let me just give a look. I have a couple of minutes. I would just see what's up with your CV, what's up with your emails. And they would give me feedback. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of also like feedback, like, hey, it's great, but you know, there are also cultural things. They might've seen your surname, let's say so, right? And then I'm sorry that this happens and people are reluctant to, you know, speaking or giving an opportunity to someone who comes from Russia as well, right? Or from anywhere outside of European Union, mm-hmm. because it's more difficult. There's that as well. So it's not always you and everything might be fine, but just don't give up. And yeah, let's see how we can do something and just write something more, I don't know, nice that would make an impression and make people want to reply to you. So. That was that. There was a lot of that, a lot of communicating with people. And then what did you ask me again? Uh, yeah, I asked like how in the end, maybe if you know, of course, what was your kind of selling point? What was your uh, competitive advantage that the company you now work for was interested in relocating you, considering that you were working in a bit of different industry before that? 
Yeah. When I finally got the offer um, and when I got into the interviewing process, I already had some experience specifically in the UX writing. So I didn't just spend the year networking. I also spent it acquiring the experience. So I was working at a startup and I was doing specific UX writing work. So I had case studies in my portfolio. And actually before that, because I did apply to some job openings at Booking specifically before all of this and in UX writing as well, but they didn't reply to me. And then after I acquired all this like experience and I was networking and I didn't knew who to reach out to and stuff like that. And I'm not gonna lie, I was also referred by someone who was working at the company already that all kind of helped me mm-hmm. and the thing is that that's why i did my research as well on the companies and that is very crucial i knew that they i don't know how to how to put it correctly they you don't have to prove to them that coming from outside of eu you're going to bring as much value as anyone who already has like that your belly will enough basically to give you the work visa because for them it is a very well-established process, and for many companies it is, right? You just need to know which companies do have this process in place, so that's not going to be a problem for them. They're like, yeah, whatever, it's just another person that we need to do the same things for. So they were just looking purely at the fact that I had a lot of experience in many things that are relevant to the industry, even without the specific year trading mm-hmm. experience, because I was working with languages I was working a lot on the websites. I was writing copy and I was writing versatile copy. So yeah, even if I was not doing your training, I was doing a lot of the things that are related to it. Mm -hmm. And then I also have worked with your training specifically, as I told you. So I had that as a a nice thing to add on uh, top of other things. And then, yeah, it was just like purely down to me doing the tests and, and just going through the mm-hmm. interviews. And how much time went from the day you received an offer and the day you relocated to the Netherlands? It was two months, yeah. almost two months. Yeah. yeah. Not that long. Yeah. Because I received my offer in August, beginning of August, and then I relocated to the Netherlands on the 2nd of October. Mm-hmm. Do you think that nowadays, considering the war in place, it is still possible for Russian citizens to do the same procedure of relocation? Yeah, absolutely so. Mm-hmm. And I know about cases that we have in the company and also outside of company. It does happen. Mm-hmm. It is possible. It might take a little bit longer just due to the complications that came with all restrictions and the work of the institutions and stuff like that. Yeah, that is all obvious, but it's still very much possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'd just like to ask you uh, about your uh, job itself. Like you have designed. I'm very curious uh, to know what is it? How does it work? Maybe you can give like a general case uh, how it's applied in the broader business context and what's it for? Yeah, so as a UX writer, I work closely with UX designers. If we put it in a very simple way, UX designers, they take care of the visual part and I take care of the word, of the words. But obviously it's not just the visuals and the words, it's the whole experience, right? So what we do is anything that you have to do on any app, 
that you open and that you use on your phone or any website, any product. It is a sum of experiences, right? Mm -hmm. How do you get through the payment? How do you choose the products that you want to buy? How do you book something, right? Anything is an experience. How you do it and how easy it is for you to do it is my job, basically. Mm. So what we do is we try to make it easier for people to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Um, that's why I got into it, because I like the idea of helping people, however cheesy that might sound, but I wanted to do something very practical. So if there are users who have hard time getting through the payment process, right? Like, or they don't understand, or it's just weird and it's inconsistent and they have to redo multiple steps all the time and they get irritated and frustrated. What can we do to make it easier for them to go through this? This is my job and I like it because yeah, in general, it makes lives of people easier, but yeah. It uh, sounds like it's important to have some understanding of behavioral science. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this also like, it's an interesting part because apart from just writing something, there's a lot that comes before because we do a lot of research. We'll look into the feedback that we're getting. We'll look into what people want, what people need, what doesn't work, what works, and what are the technical implications of that, right? Because obviously we're not magicians. We can't just do anything. Mm -hmm. We work with the developers and we sit together and we decide, hey, like this is what we want to do, but can we achieve this? Is this feasible? what can we do to achieve this, right? So I also like this part of the job, that it's a lot about collaboration mm -hmm. with different people. And it's not always easy. It's not given that, oh, hey, you just come into the room and you have so many brilliant ideas and you're like, oh, hey, we're going to make it really easy for everyone. And then everyone's like, yeah, I'm sold on this idea. Let's do this. No, it's not, it doesn't work like this. Obviously, there are going to be people who are be hard to convince. There are going to be people who are going to be like questioning everything and the reasoning behind, right? But that's also the the fun part of it as well, right? How do you convince people? Like the art of convincing. Mm -hmm. So yeah. It seems like you need to really have some diverse skills <laughs> for this job. Yeah. Which you do. Yeah, I mean, it's really exciting to listen. So you moved to the Netherlands. To which city? Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Almost two years ago, right? Yeah, it is a little bit under two years. Yeah, actually the same time as we did. Yeah, so maybe you can share your experience of living here. How did you feel when you moved here? I'm pretty sure you were really excited. How do you feel now? How do you feel in between? And I'm pretty sure you compared the differences with Italy, with Russia, maybe with Armenia as well. By the way, Susanna just flew back from Armenia yesterday with a 12-hour long flight with a interconnection. So yeah, she's, you can say, with a little bit of jet lag, but she's really strong. So nah, nah. Um, Flew all the way back to, you know, record this podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's an international thing. So people just fly to us from all over the, the world. Yeah, we had a friend from Mexico. He flew all the way from Mexico. Yeah, just amazing. So yeah, share, share your experience in the Netherlands and how do you compare it with other countries you've been to? Yeah, so obviously what I'm going to be sharing is a lot about my experience in Amsterdam. And I keep on like also reminding myself of this, that it's, yeah, Amsterdam is not the whole mm -hmm. Netherlands. I'm still very much excited as the day that I first landed in the Netherlands. Some people say, oh, no, it's just a honeymoon, you know, phase. It's gonna go away. Maybe it will. But 
I think, yeah, I have quite a nice experience. And the main reason for this is that I always wanted to live in a place where I would be exposed to as many cultures as I can. Mm-hmm. And I would be able to use as many languages as I can. <laughs> Apart from Dutch. <laughs> Apart from Dutch. Which I'm finally going to start learning this autumn. I'm very uh, settled on this idea, but let's see where it takes me. But also, it's very hard to find people just being Dutch too. Even if you know how to, if you're learning it. I wanted to be exposed to cultures, to languages, to people. I always found it so important for me to meet different people. And that's what kept me so curious and so excited, I think, for these, what, almost two years. Because... You know, the fact that I worked as a journalist is not a coincidence or just some random thing. I've just always been very curious about other people's lives. What I learned in these two years is that sometimes I wouldn't find certain people in my own countries, both in Russia and Armenia, whose lives would resemble mine, you know, and the problems and the situations that I was in. But I found so many people who come from all over the world. And when I'm telling them my story, I actually hear back very similar stories. So I recently came to a conclusion that I've been a black sheep in my countries my whole life. But here I keep on meeting so many black sheep from other countries (laughs) that we make a pretty dope flock of black sheep. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing that keeps me excited about being here. I also feel like sometimes there are places where you just feel good. You know, it, it might not have a logical explanation. It might not be that like it's oh it's because of those factors and uh, you know, it's just easy to live here or this or that. It's just you feel good. Uh-huh. And I feel very much myself here and I feel like I can be my truest self uh-huh. in so many ways. Uh-huh. And I also have access to a lot of things. I just went to singing classes, ceramics classes, random things, you know, like just to keep myself busy and creative and just try new things all the time. And it's somehow, yeah, it's somehow easy here. Yeah. Once again, in Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. Actually, I just remembered just one of the examples uh, of uh, the diverse interests of Susanna, how she invited me to one of kind of housewarming parties oh yeah 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 it was just maybe after a month or two he moved in and like a big number of people he met them somewhere at the comedy stand-up club oh it's a storytelling club it's actually one of my most favorite places as well in amsterdam up to this day it was the place where my, my friend took me there on the first week in amsterdam and he was like it's a nice place to meet other people there and and they're so nice and just so easy and the stories are very nice. So basically it's just a, a club that was founded I think more than 10 years ago, maybe even more, because I keep on meeting people who might not even be going there now, but they've been there like 10 years ago. And so they have different evenings dedicated to different topics. Like on Wednesdays they have open mics for storytellers both pros and amateurs. So anyone can just get up on the stage and tell a story. It can be anything. It can be a sad story, comic story, whatever. A real story, a fictional story, whatever it is. And then they have 
comedy nights on Mondays, I think. And there are a lot of comedians who are very well known in Netherlands and also outside of the Netherlands who started in Metro, actually. And it's really nice to see that, oh, hey, you just started by telling your you know, unpolished jokes there and then you just got big. And actually, I saw it in the span of last year. One of my friends and colleagues, he told his first comic story one year ago in Mesrop. And then he's a dev. He's so freaking funny. He's hilarious. Is it the Indian one? Yes, it's the Indian one. I posted a story about him recently. And he was just, he started over there and then... He now is invited to a lot of the shows in Amsterdam, in Rotterdam, all over the Netherlands, because, you know, people know him. Obviously, he has worked hard on it. It's not that he just got on the stage and measured and that was it. No, he worked really hard. But people there, they supported him so much as well. And that's how I met him, although we work at the same company, but I met him there. And they were like, oh my God, you're so hilarious and stuff like that. And they're very open and they're just like, they want you to succeed and they're very open about it and vocal and like, yeah, you should do more of this. Like, it's hilarious. Um, so yeah, it's an, it's an amazing place. And I met um, a bunch of people there that I'm still in contact with now mm-hmm. and closest friends, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. friends that I consider closest here. So yeah, it's definitely one of the, most magical places and it's not the only place like there are quite a few like this yeah and you mentioned this phrase that you felt like a black sheep in your not even one country but two of countries that you can consider your home in one way or another does it mean that you were born to be an expert yes okay. definitely all right citizen of the world so i mean yeah that's a good explanation to that but do you want to share the thoughts why did you feel like that in the countries you lived before? Yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm generalizing. Obviously, what I'm saying is my personal experience, but I've always felt like there's not enough space for me, however ridiculous that might sound, both in Russia and Armenia. Mm-hmm. Culturally speaking, it's not because of the people, I have great friends there, but it's just, I don't know, the way the society is, And I think to some extent is the result of the Soviet Union period for both of the countries, you know, both for Russia and Armenia. But the way people think just about life, how they consume life, Uh is just so, I don't want to say narrow-minded, but it's just so, there's such a good word for it in Russian. I don't know how to translate it. It's like, you know, how do you translate it? It's like, it's so... Um, we also have this like for people that are like yeah. Dushnila, and, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like well, the literal translation would be stuffy, but I don't think it's not. Flexible. It's it's a concept. It's not. Yeah. I don't yeah, think you yeah. can. It's something in between like boring and annoying. No, yeah. But yeah, I think mostly you mean that the way people perceive life, yeah, is in most of the cases is limited to some, I don't know, cultural aspects. Yeah. And yeah, just same ideas, yes. same frames. Ideas about happiness as well, right? Because I think that was something that I was lacking. I think everyone has scenarios for happiness everywhere, right? But it comes down to how many of these scenarios are acceptable 
And I always felt like the number of these scenarios in both of the countries are pretty limited. Mm-hmm. Like you have a certain path that you need to follow. And if you don't follow it, you become quite isolated. You're like, yeah, what are you doing with your life? Like, why are you living like this? Right. And I love both of the countries, but for instance, I, I could never live, and that's something that even my cousin admitted a while ago. He lives in Armenia, and he was like, we're constantly discussing cultural aspects and like the ways of thinking. We don't agree on most of the things. And he's like, yeah, I don't think you could ever live in Armenia. I don't think you would have ever fit here because of how you think. Like, you're so, you're just like, freedom, I want my freedom, you know? And also being a woman, mm-hmm. it implies a lot of things in both countries, more in Armenia than in Russia, but even in Russia still, Mm -hmm. how you are supposed to be if you're a woman. And I, for instance, as an Armenian woman, I wouldn't want to live in a conservative society, you know, where some of my actions are interpreted for me instead of asking me, hey, like, how, why, what, like, oh no, she's doing it like this. It means that yeah. She's as far as we, b- both of us, uh, me and Mitri grew up uh, in Russia, and uh, even though we are men, <laughs> but uh, I can relate. I do understand. I had a lot of moments when I was disgusted by my peer men, like how they think, how they just, yeah, talk about women. And uh, yeah, shout out to our third host who is absent today, Tina, because she's from Kazakhstan, and I'm pretty sure she would relate to your experience being a woman in the ex-Soviet country, which has a lot of traditions and limitations to women to a big extent. Coming back to the Dutch (laughs) experiences, maybe you can share something on the negative side of things, because so far it's only been very positive. Yeah, as if it's like a unicorn country. (laughs) Yeah, maybe you can sell something more of a word of a caution for people who try and to come here, what kind of obstacles or hurdles they would have to overcome in order to succeed here or just make their life settle in? Let me think. I mean, among the most obvious ones is, and I think I heard you discuss it on other episodes of the podcast. Does this word start with an H? Oh man, no, this is just something that I don't even know how to to discuss this. It is also a very big problem, but I, especially in Amsterdam, yeah, no. The W? W, oh my God, it's like, it's so intriguing, W. Yeah, it's it's like something you can observe in the window outside. Well, today's nothing. Oh my God. Okay, let let me address this because you have discussed it, yeah, and everyone is constantly discussing the weather in the Netherlands, but let me say this, so... I do understand the concerns about <laughs> the weather, but you know, I actually met, it was a fun dialogue with my Finnish colleague and we're discussing, Hey, hey like, why did you move to the Netherlands? And like, there was a bunch of us and he went, I moved for the weather. <laughs> and I was like, excuse me, can you elaborate? And he was like, I lived in Finland, you know, after Finland, like just go and live there and you'll know everything about bad weather. This is not bad weather. And um, for me, it's not that bad because I, I lived in, in Russia, in, in Moscow, so minus 30 degrees and then not going to school because everything is just frozen and you just sit at home because it's just so damn cold mm-hmm. and it's so gray and there's dirty snow everywhere. 
because snow as wonderful as it is but it's just wonderful for like two days and then it just becomes a dirty mess but also yeah there's like greenest everywhere so here actually despite the whole weather thing it still is very colorful so i'm like oh, okay well i can still see the sky most of the days and also mm. bell days i mean <laughs> i i do understand controversial opinions no no i do understand like everything you say but i just i just feel disturbed by this um, um, yeah, and this uh, expression about grayness, because for me, actually, I hated winter in Moscow, as to say, because the snow is becoming just a dirt and it's gray and, and gloomy and so on and so forth. Here, it is not that cold. It is not that dirty, for sure. But I think it is even more gray sky during the winter. Isn't it? Really? To me, it isn't. Mm. Well, maybe, I don't know why. Maybe in Amsterdam is different. Maybe Amsterdam is different from Rotterdam. I'll come, I'll come <laughs> visit you in Rotterdam more than <laughs> sure. to compare. No, but like, yeah, it's not as great to me. I, I mean, this is just a good example of how people like from it's different areas, right? Like, from the same places have different perceptions on yeah. your stuff. Uh, and what was the theme that you want to share when I ask you about the negative? <laughs> I was going to say the the kind of, ah, how to say, relatability to the culture. Ah, so you... Like, so meeting actually and mingling with uh, uh, Dutch people, uh, yeah, yeah. locals. Yeah, we actually discussed it. Here. Yeah, uh, you did discuss it and I can relate to that. Mm -hmm. I do feel that it is difficult. And I have a colleague and I forgot the name of the Instagram account, but there's a hilarious Instagram account on Dutch people where they just show <laughs> how difficult it is to understand um them and to find the ways to kind of to become friends and all of that and my colleague she's dutch and she's like oh my god i didn't even realize how hard we are and like i'm really sorry <laughs> so so yeah it's hard to make truly dutch friends here it is obvious it's not just because of the absence of the lack of language knowledge but for multiple reasons but also i want to say that I keep reminding myself that it's not only here. In other countries, it's the same. And if you look at other countries and people who move there, they, you know, sometimes end up having only, like, Russians, only Russian friends, Indians, only Indian friends. Why? Because it's easier for them to find people of their own culture mm -hmm. and then mingle with them. Yeah, but I guess at least in our case, I think I can generalize our three cases. We mostly hang out, we talk to people from expat community worldwide, yeah. from all over the world. And with some of them with whom we might have even less cultural similarities than with Dutch people. We can talk about it more, but just in general, it seems that it's easier to find any friend from any country of origin here than the Dutch one. It's true. You can find still, as I said, like for instance, I'm, I can't say we're close friends, but we are friends and I have two Dutch friends from work and we don't just hang out at work. We actually do a lot of things together outside of work. So it is possible, but it just takes you some time and effort. Mm -hmm. But also, yeah, as I said, in Italy, for instance, as well, people keep on saying, oh, hey, Italians are so open. Talking about images, right, of people and the misconcepts and stereotypes. They are, but they also aren't. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I mean, there is a big difference between being friendly. With to, tourists. Like, yeah. Even the Dutch people, for me, most of them are kind of friendly. Yeah. Sure. But it doesn't mean that they want to be friends with you. It's just... Like, exactly. And I can also... I actually heard it recently in one of the podcasts that 
There is a reason for that. You know, for us as expats, we come to a new country and we have to build everything from scratch mm -hmm. for them is different because they've been living here. So they have everything in place. They mm -hmm. have their circles, they have their friends, their routines and stuff like that. So I actually heard this interesting story from one of my colleagues. She was working in a Dutch company before she was almost the only expat there. It was the first year after she moved and she couldn't make any friends there. She was really trying hard and she was like, okay, let's grab like coffee outside of work. Let's do this. And then we just like all ignore her. And she said, what's happening like why and and then after a year they actually all of a sudden as if by magic started you know being friends with her <laughs> there's a lot of people who like stayed in her life even after she left the company and they're really close friends and she's like yeah they're the best friends that you could ever have because if you call them in the middle of the night they will actually come to you and like save you and help you and she asked one of them and she's like, yeah, like, why wouldn't anyone be friends with me and stuff like that? And the guy said, oh, it's because we wanted to make sure that you're really going to stay here uh -huh. because there are a lot of people who are just passing by and then they leave. And then like, why would you invest your time mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and someone who is going to leave? Yeah, I actually heard this reasoning and uh, that sounds pretty logic. But, you know, it works both directions. So if I'm not making friends here, there is less reasoning for me to, to stay. stay. True. Yeah. But I mean, that's a very, very interesting perspective on the Netherlands and the culture aspects. Just, I don't know, everything you mentioned so far. And with almost three months of my visa remaining, now I feel even more sad <laughs> that I might need to leave. But we'll see. We'll see. I hope you don't have to leave. I hope. I hope as well. I know more Dutch than both of you combined. Oh, so. no. I mean, I learned Dutch. What yeah. for? I don't know. Because I still get replies also like speaking of which, even though I learned Dutch, it's very far from being fluent just because I don't use it as often. And getting these replies that we need to fluent Dutch doesn't make really a lot of sense yeah. for some positions, which it may be a good excuse. Uh, Dmitry, maybe you have any final questions to our guest? Final questions. I would like to ask you about your future plans, uh, what you want to do in the coming years in terms of your career and maybe your personal life do you want to stay here for longer or you want to explore more well i am searching for a house <laughs> so i think it implies that I, I do want to stay uh for some time i don't know for how long because yeah it's hard to say you know in the current situation in the whole world, mm -hmm. but life is so unpredictable. Wait, you mean searching for house? To buy. Ah, uh, to buy. I yeah. thought you... Not to rent, to buy. Oh, so it's like long-term. Yeah, plan. it's a commitment. It is. But, you know, it's also easy to... Not easy, but like you can always sell. But it is a commitment. And I do feel, I think it's the first place, once again, however cheesy that might sound, but it's the first place in my whole life where I have felt like myself and I really wants to hold on to this feeling. I don't know mm -hmm. how, how long it's going to last, but until it's there, I mm -hmm. want to stay. Mm -hmm. And in terms of my career, I'm pretty happy there where I am now in terms of not just the company, but just where I am in my career. And it keeps me curious. It keeps me, Sarah dull moments. I'm very excited about the things that I'm doing. I obviously want to, you know, explore opportunities, maybe try and become a manager and stuff like that. I also wants to see and I have space for it, which I really like and which I find one of the other, you know, good uh, things about uh, life here, work-life balance. So with the work-life balance, I actually have space to explore mm -hmm. other things in my life. 
other than career, which I've always been very much focused on. So I do want to start doing things just for myself. Mm-hmm. For instance, go back to writing, just purely like mm-hmm. fiction writing. Yeah, I read one of your small, how do they call it? Po- po- not poems, but like... Ah, yeah, poetry. Po- I mean, it's pieces. like a piece of poetry. Yeah. yeah. So pretty good. If you continue doing that. <laughs> That's such a good explanation of maybe one of your main reasons of coming and staying here and loving to be here is just... A possibility to be yourself, to yeah. be, to express yourself, and uh, I can relate to that to a big extent. And actually, uh, I also am a person who values freedom in all of its aspects, and that's a lot for a person who comes from unfree society. And when you don't have any of these obstacles that you get used to, yeah, uh, sometimes it's just you're being too much of yourself. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> also true. Yeah, I mean, it's just for people who are coming from different cultures, you need to be ready that it doesn't matter how old are you, you will probably get to know yourself much better, and it's not it's not very likely that you're gonna like all of it. <laughs> oh, that's for sure. And actually, that's a very good recap of things to consider when you are trying to move anywhere, because I think that people actually. Don't think about this, but this is very true. Mm-hmm. Definitely, whether you move to the Netherlands or anywhere else in the world, because this is like the thing that we see happening more and more these days because of some circumstances, not only in Russia and the war, but I see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's You need to keep it in mind mm-hmm. that you will learn things about yourself that you might have not been ready to learn yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I have just a small final question. Don't you miss hiking? Man, <laughs> I, think you can. I mean, I've never been that good at it, but also you can just hop on a flight or just on a but train. I, mean, I think, I, think I got the reference. <laughs> There's, yeah, there are no mountains here. I mean, <laughs> this uh... trip. And I just flew back from Armenia and I got to tell you, it is true. When you just open the window and you see mountains, you're like, oh, wow, they exist. The reference was actually from I said that we met, I don't know how many years ago, five, six years ago. Seven years ago, um, during a hike, during the hike, it was like more than a week hike in the remote area in northern Russia. Crazy, man. yeah, it was. So, yeah, it was uh, amazing. I'm pretty sure you cannot do something like that here, just because we haven't met almost anyone in those days when we were hiking here. Yeah, whenever you go, yeah, it's it's just a civilization. So <laughs> sometimes you feel an urge to escape it, but you can always hop on the flight, but. Consider that CO2 emissions are important effect <laughs> to work on, and climate change yeah. is very big challenge for us all. That's so hop on a train. Hop on a train. Hop on a train. Hop, hop on a bike, please. Yeah. To get to the train station. To get to the train station. <laughs> yeah, and also you can walk. You can just hide from your <laughs> house to you know <laughs> the destination. So whatever. Yeah, I mean, be more aware of impact you make on the world. Yeah. That's my final yeah. note. <laughs> True. Okay, thanks, Susanna, for coming on the podcast. I'm really personally happy for you that you found a place that you really belong to. And we wish you all the best and good luck with your adventures. Yeah, you're just a very, very nice example of a person achieving own goals and still not stopping and want to do more and kind of yeah having this strategic plan in mind. And by doing that, not forgetting how to enjoy life. Yeah, I think you found a really good, good balance. Thank you. And thanks for inviting me. It was really nice. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.